starts out in this uh, chapter 3, the passage we read through uh, verse 18, about two kinds of wisdom. So the key theme in James 3, 13 to 18 is wisdom. Who among you is wise and understanding? So he starts with a rhetorical question. And then he says, you need to show that by the behavior of your deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Two kinds of wisdom. They come from two kinds of sources, two different sources. They have different characteristics and they have different results. There's wisdom that is from above. You see that in verse 17? The wisdom from above. And then in verse 14, there's, um, or 15, there's wisdom that does not come down from above. So some uh, wisdom is from above. Other wisdom is not from above. Okay, so two sources. These different wisdoms have different characteristics. If you look in 3.14, um, well, 3.14, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, arrogance. 3.16, jealousy, selfish ambition. And you have these different characteristics of the wisdom that is not from above. But the wisdom that is from above is characterized in verse um, 17. It's pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. How would you define wisdom? The knowledge of God. Knowledge of God, okay. What's, what differs, what, 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 what differentiates wisdom from knowledge? Action. Action? Use of those words. Okay. The knowledge that you have, using it for whatever, uh, good, profit. Okay. Or, yeah, what is, what is profitable to a man? Okay, if somebody asks, if somebody asks God for wisdom, what are they expecting to get? Pardon? Guidance. Guidance. We often use wisdom in, in that context. We need to make a decision. We need wisdom to make the right decision. We take the knowledge that we have, and wisdom shows us how to apply it in a way that makes it work. But that's not how James describes wisdom. If you look at the description of wisdom in 3.17 and 3.14, the wisdom from above, the wisdom that's not from above. Um, it's really more about attitude uh, than, it, than it would be about, let's say, aptitude or you know, our ability to do things. There's attitudes that describe this wisdom that is from above. Do you see it there? They're character, like character qualities. The other thing about these two kinds of wisdom is um, if you look in 3.15, this wisdom is not from above, coming down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. The world's wisdom, the wisdom that is from below, 
and not from above. It's earthly. It's natural or soulish, literally. And it's demonic. Do you realize that when you are living a life characterized by this kind of wisdom that does not come down from above, James says it's actually demonic. What does that mean? Wisdom that's demonic. It's from Satan. Yeah, demons are angels associated with doing the work of Satan. And so that my wisdom that I'm gaining, let's say, from the world, the worldly wisdom, that's characterized by uh, envy and selfishness and ambition, that's actually empowered by demons. And there's been this ongoing debate over the years as to, you know, can demons, can a Christian be possessed with a demon? And uh, it's kind of interesting to study the history of that. Missionaries on the mission field say definitely yes. Theologians that are in the seminaries say no. And, uh, and the, you know, there's different reasons that people have for saying what they say. But James here is speaking to believers, and he's talking about, well, he asks the question, who's wise and understanding among you? But he's talking about the kind of wisdom that God gives. The kind of wisdom that comes from the world is characterized by um, uh, demonic forces. And we don't recognize it because when we think of demons, you know, we're thinking of, I don't know, pitchforks and that kind of thing. But really, there's a lot of attitudes that we have that are consistent with the character of the enemy. Now, I don't personally believe a Christian can be possessed with a demon, but I do think they can be greatly affected by demons. And that I might be splitting hairs there, I don't know. But anyway, the wisdom that is not from above, it's earthly wisdom, it's a natural wisdom, and ultimately it's demonic wisdom. And so the other thing I want before we focus in on verse 18, there's two results from these two different kinds of wisdom. Verse 16, for wherever jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder and every evil thing. That's the world's wisdom. That's what it leads to. When people are walking according to the wisdom of the world, it leads to disorder and every evil thing. In our culture, in our society, in our world, what do most great minds and highly intelligent scientific people believe about the existence of God? They don't. They don't believe that God exists. And they're, you know, these are the, these are the wise people of the world. But the Bible says in Psalm 14 and in Psalm 70, I think it's 73, those who say there is no God, he, the Bible calls them fools. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
And so we see this contrast between wisdom that comes from God and the wisdom that's from the world around us. And in this world, this wisdom that comes from above, I want to just focus in on the quality in James 3.18. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And just jump up to 3.17. One of the aspects of the wisdom from above is that it is pure and then peaceable. And so I really want to take a few moments this morning and talk about this concept of peace. Peace. It's one of the major themes of the Bible. It's one of the characteristics of God. He's called the God of peace. Jesus was the Prince of peace. Peace is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about peace in the Bible, there is a, there is a, a close connection between peace and between God. Now there's also three kinds of peace. There's peace with God. That would be one kind of peace. There's peace with one another or with others. That would be another kind of peace. And then there's a peace within. People, when you're at peace with yourself. And those three kinds of peace are addressed in the Bible. And we'll just, we'll start with the one that's the most important. How does one gain peace with God. And the very question I ask assumes something about peace with God. What does it assume? That it's possible, but you don't have it initially. The world as we'll see when we get to James 4, is hostile toward God. And God actually considers those who are friends with the world to be his enemies. Billy Graham, many years ago, I think this is one of the first books he wrote, wrote a book called Peace with God. So, just for the sake of uh, getting this part, this aspect of peace, uh, made clear, how does one get peace with God? How do you enter into a relationship where you're at peace with God and God is at peace with you? Tim? Romans 5.1 says, Now having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Verse 2, we were given that access through Christ Jesus. So okay. That's right. Okay, so we, we know that, all right, but just, anyway, that's the verse to go to. Therefore, having been justified by our faith, we have peace with God. Not we're going to have peace, not we might have peace, not we wish we could have peace, we do have peace. We are at peace with God through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. I'd like to show you uh, real quickly, and this might be a little bit of an aside, but keep your place here in James 4, and I'd like you to go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John 14. As we've been studying through uh, uh, the Gospel of John on Wednesday nights, 
a couple passages have really been um, sticking out in my mind. John chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus is the speaker here. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and disclose myself to him. And then verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Okay, now before I move to the next verse in John. On what basis from those two verses does the Father love us? Because we love Jesus. And if you turn to John 16, 32, I think that's what it is. It's not. Um, verse 27. John 16, 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. On what basis does God the Father love us? It's repeated three times just in John's Gospel here. I'm, I'm, hearing, uh, I'm hearing with the hearing of the ear. It's because, we, it's because we love Jesus. The Father loves us because we love Jesus. As you go through the Gospel of John, as we've been doing, you find the close connection between a relationship with the Father, but it can only come through a relationship with the Son. And so, to say that God the Father loves me, and yet He loves me apart from Jesus, um, that would be not entirely accurate. When you go back to James 3, so let's go ahead and do that right now, we've talked about peace with God. Where does that peace come from? A lot of people believe they're at peace with God because they're not committing any major crimes or serious sin. And so they simply assume that God is at peace with them because they feel like they're at peace with God. There is no peace with God apart from Jesus Christ. That's what Tim quoted Romans 5.1. And so, all the more reason to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a world that, for the most part, doesn't know about that connection. Peace. It's one of the Bible's major themes. Peace with God, peace with self, and peace with others. So, I'm going to talk about peace with others, but let's talk about how do you have peace with yourself? And, and what is that, anyway? Peace with yourself. To be at peace with yourself. Is that even a legitimate concept? Yes? yes? Okay. What, what is it, uh, Brian? Where does the, uh, the part, second part of that, if you love me, yes, where does that come in? Really? I think that's the, 
If you look at John's writings, both the gospel and his epistles, the, the, the evidence of new life is a righteous walk, obedience. And I've shared my testimony in the past about reading through 1 John when I was living a life not really walking with the Lord, and it just it, it scared the daylights out of me. Because here's what John says, If the one says, I've come to know him, but does not keep his commandments, he's a liar. So we're not saved by keeping those commandments, but if we have that new life within us, that's going to be one of the qualities and characteristics of it. So that would be the, Brian, that would be the connection I would make there. There's two things that John is especially concerned about in his epistle that um, he says, by this you know the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. And the two things that he alludes to, well, he doesn't, he just comes right out and says it, is that we walk in obedience, and the other thing is, we love the brethren. When John looks for tests of faith, that's what he looks for. Are we walking in obedience, and do we love being around other believers? And, uh, now, granted, John speaks in terms of light and dark. He, he, he doesn't talk a lot about any, what's, anything in the middle. He's like an either-or kind of guy. But our love for Jesus Christ becomes the basis of the Father's love of us. And that's got some implications, and we've got John 3.16 to pull into that uh, context as well. But you cannot come to the Father apart from Jesus Christ. So when we talk about peace with God, it can only come through what Christ has done on the cross to reconcile us to the Father. Inner peace, peace within. Have you ever not been at peace with yourself, and what does that look like? Confusion and disaster? Okay. Guilty feelings? Beating up on yourself, maybe for mistakes that you've made or whatever. And you have this inner turmoil. Yes, uh, 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 Patty? Hopelessness. Hopelessness. Okay. Hopelessness. Kim? Irrational, okay? Thoughts, feelings. So the Bible has a lot to say about having peace within, okay? We're not talking about peace with God. We're not talking about peace with other people. We're talking about that inner peace. And again, that's going to come from the Holy Spirit as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't you're you're just you're just not settled. Now what James is going to talk about is what I'm going to focus on now and that's peace with other people. It says in 3:18, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace 
by those who make peace. Um, Dean quoted one of the Beatitudes uh, this morning, one of the blessed are, one of the very first ones in Matthew 5, I think it's 5-9, blessed are the peacemakers. This verse says, those who have that wisdom from above are those who make peace. They're peacemakers. That characterizes those who are followers of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Peacemakers. That means that there is a calling upon you to make peace with those with whom you may not be at peace with. Psalm 34:14 Depart from evil and do good seek peace and pursue it. Romans 14:19 So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Hebrews 12:14 Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. We're to pursue peace. Pursue it. Now the question is, okay, here Here's, here's, here's my favorite verse almost, Romans 12, 18. Let's go there. Romans 12, 18 says, Be at peace with all men. Now we're going to talk about, well, how do you do that? But let's look at this verse first. Romans 12, 18. Be at peace with all men. You see it right there at the end of the verse? That's, that's the main, that's the command right there. Be at peace with all men. And then there's two clauses that kind of uh, modify that. The first one is, if possible. Okay? If possible assumes what? What does that imply? That it's not always possible to be at peace with all men. Isn't that what, if, if possible, the second part, equally important, as far as it depends on you. It's hard to make peace in a relationship just from one side. And so when we talk about being at peace with all men, we have to recognize sometimes there are things that hinder that. Other times there are things that are beyond our control. Now, we, we, can't, we can't fall back on these all the time. So, let's talk about Let's name some things that keep peace in relationships from happening. What are some of the hindrances to having a peaceful relationship? Unforgiveness. Okay. Having to be right. Having to be right. 
What's that, Randy? Uncompromising, okay. Okay, having to be right. Okay, having the last word. Having your own way, being proud, proud, pride, prideful. Now think about your experiences. What kind of things in your past, I'll, I'll hide your, anyway. <laughs> what kinds of things in your past can you recall that prevented a peaceful resolution to maybe a conflict that you had? Selfishness, okay, wanting your own way, always being right. Bitter, bitterness. What, how does bitterness affect uh, resolution of conflicts? Okay, yeah. Yeah, bitterness is that you, you, don't, want, you don't want it fixed. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, and that's a big one. If you're hurt deeply by someone, um, it takes your peace away. It, yeah, it removes the peace. If you let it. Yeah, well, that's a good point, too, if you let it. All right, now, uh, okay, so we're just getting started here, but I just wanted to bring those up. Turn to Colossians 3.12, because this, this, this is going to help us. So what I want us to do this morning as we look at this is just hear how the Holy Spirit might be directing us to, uh, as best that we can, under the, you know, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, to actually pursue peace. Um, a lot of times we just live with the fallout, and sometimes that's all you can do. But other times, sometimes we can do things. Colossians 3.12 so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now I need, to, I need to remind us that we're especially talking about um, conflict between believers, because that's what James is addressing in the church. Conflict, conflict between believers in a church. Um, there's probably nothing as ugly as conflict unresolved conflict between believers uh, or groups of people within a church. Um, Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. And what is it? What's the this? We have love one for another. Jesus prayed in John 17 for us. And what did he pray? He prayed that we would be one in unity. And so, James is really, uh, this idea of being at peace and having a, the, the wisdom that's characterized by 
making peace, he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to the church. It's especially necessary for those of us who name the name of Christ to, as, as, at, if at all possible, to bring peace to our relationships. Um, okay. Colossians 3.12 and 13. Forgiveness. Okay, if you want to know how, what do I do? How can I create, how can I move toward making peace? Forgiveness is better than vengeance. Alright, just that first one. That cover, that's going to cover a lot of ground. Forgiveness is better than vengeance in bringing peace to our relationships. How many of you like um, professional wrestling? How many of you are willing to admit that you like professional wrestling? <laughs> Even down, deep down in your heart. <laughs> In the 70s? Okay. <laughs> they used to have grudge matches. Remember grudge matches? What was that? Uh, that was part of the marketing, yeah. A grudge match was actually, this guy beat me, and so I'm going to have a grudge match, and I'm going to get him back. I'm going to beat him. Grudges. Grudges are a form of vengeance. Grudges are things that we hold on to. And the intent of a grudge is to um, withhold any blessing or goodness from us toward a person that has hurt us. And I don't want to minimize in any way the depth of hurt that comes into our relationships that prevents peace from occurring. If you've been from an abusive relationship, uh, if you've been assaulted in some way, uh, those are deep, deep hurts. And um, the natural tendency is to want to get vengeance. But the Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Okay, and then he's going to go on. So forgiveness is better than vengeance. Repentance is better than stubbornness. Sometimes somebody's trying to make peace with you and you refuse to accept it. And maybe you're the one at fault and you refuse to acknowledge it because you're too proud or you're too stubborn to admit it. And that's going to prevent peace as well. Larry? I read a little different version here, but there's a word that Okay. In right here, twelve or three, twelve we were uh, talking about there. Uh-huh. And there we go. Um Mike says you, I believe you used the word should forgive. The end of thirteen. Mike says must forgive. Oh, okay. I see. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. 
should. Must. Okay. Anybody else want to weigh in on the uh, uh, should, must? Should is a suggestion, must is a command. That's probably true, yeah. I would take this as a must, obviously, um, because I don't think it's negotiable, so to speak. Tim? <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Cut to the chase. Must. Okay. <laughs> this passage also says we're to bear with one another rather than provoke each other. Okay. I'll, I'll, if I could summarize what you're saying, because I know what you're saying. Um, remember the part that says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, uh, you're not going to gain a peaceful relationship with somebody that wants to keep bringing up the hurts or someone that doesn't want to acknowledge their part in it. Jesus said in Luke 17, if your brother sins, reprove him. If he repents, forgive him. You see there's a sequence there. Everybody's got to play a part in bringing that relationship together. You can't do it just from your side. And there's also the issue of where we need to set boundaries for people who are simply not interested in correcting their faults. In other words, you, you don't want to just put yourself right back out there again to get smacked around or whatever. Okay, Sean? No, no, no. All forgiveness does is you saying, I am not going to bring vengeance against this person that hurt me. That's what forgiveness, that's what you're giving up for. Okay? Yeah, that could be related to that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But again, be careful that you not use that as an excuse but that it's a genuine uh, issue, which it is with a lot of people. Yes? I think forgiveness is for you to move forward with that inner peace, right? Yes. At some point in the future, if the other say, party is willing, that you have that inner peace and you can move forward with that relationship. Yes. Not that, necessarily for the other person. No. For you to move forgiveness keeps you from getting embittered. Mm -hmm. And then that root of bitterness springs up and defiles many. Let me just, um, I, I kind of hate to do this because I, I do like to talk a long time. <laughs> In these kinds of relationships that uh, uh, Nicole is describing, there's, there's three things I, I wrote down here when we're dealing with broken relationships. And one is to give grace the other one is to give space, and sometimes you've got to give time, all right? You can't change another person's heart on your own, okay? And so, in a lot of relationships, when it's talk about we need to pursue peace,
That's all within the context of, is it possible, and am I doing as much as I can, but I can't do for the other person what they need to do. But the Lord tells me I'm to be characterized as a peacemaker. And there's a lot of other things that, you know, would be connected to this. We don't compromise the truth in order to sustain peace. Okay, it's not peace at any cost. Uh, Jesus flipped over the tables of the money changers and drove them out with a whip. And uh, not the kind of thing typically you would do to uh, produce a peaceful relationship. So again, we are, we are especially talking about, in James 3, peace that should exist between brothers and sisters in the Lord. And uh, the forgiveness part is really, that's, that's, our, that's our freedom right there. Have you ever forgiven somebody and they don't want to be forgiven? Or they don't think they need to be forgiven? Because when you say, I forgive you, what are you saying to that other person? You did something wrong, okay? And that's a bitter pill to swallow. There are those people that for some... Um, don't raise your hand, but I know this is true. How many of you have been affected by the differences in political persuasions here the last couple years. How many of you have had family members or friends that you simply are either no longer at peace with or you, or you don't even want to talk to anymore? Okay? Now, Jesus told his disciples, he says, I've got a lot more to tell you, but you can't bear it now. And so there's some things that we, we don't address at the time. There's some things we just pray and ask the Lord about it, and then if the Lord allows it, we can pursue it toward maybe a peaceful resolution. There may be some relationships you'll never be at peace with. Um, if you went through a nasty divorce, you've got an ex-spouse that's still dinging you. Um, you know, you need to pursue peace, but, I mean, let's face it, sometimes people, um, it's not good for them to be around certain people. And again, you know, when, you, when you're in a situation like that, here's what Jesus said. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now there's three things that you can do, and it may not result in your enemy becoming your friend, but this is what we are to do, because this is what Jesus would do. We love our enemies, we do good to those who hate you. We bless those who curse you. We pray for those who mistreat you. And even if that's all you can do, I minimize it just by saying that. That's what we need to do. 
And it's hard to do. But that's what the Lord says to do. We are to pursue peace because that is the wisdom that comes from above. And um, just as the Lord pursued peace with us, and so if there's someone uh, within uh, the body here that, uh, or another believer in particular that wronged you and you just, um, see you can be at peace without necessarily, this is what Sean was saying, if you forgive somebody, that doesn't mean that your relationship is gonna re return to what it was before the, the, the hurt happened. Most likely it won't, okay? Those hurts hurt. And uh, like Nicole is saying, it, it's, it's a painful thing to enter back into that relationship with that in the background. Now sometimes you, the Lord gives you the grace to do that. Um, sometimes there can be unfaithfulness in the marriage and the Lord restores that marriage. And it's actually stronger afterwards than it was before. I mean, that's what God can do. Uh, other times, the hurt is so deep that you can forgive, but you don't want to put yourself back in that situation again. If there's a child molester and he confesses, and you forgive him, you're still not gonna let that guy babysit your kids, right? So that's the, that's, the, that's the price they pay for their disobedience. That's on them, it's not on you. Okay, the, the fact that you can no longer have the relationship that you once had, that's not unforgiveness on your part. That's the price of their irresponsibility. That's the price you pay when you disobey. That's a part of the price that you pay. And so, when we talk about be at peace with all men, sometimes it's not possible, and sometimes we just do as much as we can do. But one thing that we can always do is pray for those with whom we are not at peace. And, and, and to go beyond that, if possible, do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. Uh, and this idea of um, you give grace where you can. And you give time for healing to occur. And if necessary, you keep your distance from the person who truly doesn't appear to be repentant. And it may take, and, and I, I can't share this, but I, I can share generically this way. In our Thursday Life group, over the last couple of years, we've prayed for some broken relationships that have been broken for years and years and years, and we've seen the Lord heal those. 
and it's a pretty exciting thing. And uh, I think Sharon can testify to her own testimony with her daughter-in-law, how the Lord has begun healing that. And how many years has it been, if you wouldn't mind? Five, Five years, yeah. So, you know, give it time, okay? So give grace, give space, give time, but don't give up. All right? And pray and do good and bless. And um, because at the end of the day, we don't persuade people by ourselves. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, um, so for those people the Lord maybe has put on your heart and your mind, the place to begin is to pray. And this next word is important. Pray for them. Not against them. Pray for them. Okay. I know one of the problems I have is I don't want the Lord to heal. I don't want the Lord to fix that person. You know. Um, it's like Corey Tenboom when she she's giving a talk and one of the guards from her when she was in the concentration camp showed up at one of her meetings. And she recognized uh, she'd been talking about forgiveness. And when he came up at the end to shake her hand, initially she didn't want to. She didn't want him to get saved. She wanted him to pay for what he did. But that's so unlike the Lord. And so that may be what our, what our flesh wants, but we want to do what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit of God wants us to pray for those that have mistreated us. Yeah. It's, it's like very for just forgive just as Christ forgave us, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 This. Yeah. This doesn't answer all the questions, but it, it, I would just say this is just a starting point. Just just pray for those individuals, whoever they are. You may never see them again the rest of your life. But that's not the point. The point is God can change their heart. And in a, if it's a relationship within the body of Christ, we really want to pursue that peace. Okay? Um, where both parties have the same Holy Spirit. Um, we don't want to be the one that's hindering the work of the Spirit to bring unity to the body of Christ. Any other thoughts or comments? Uh, God told me a long time ago about forgiveness, and he says, "Well, if you have higher standards than me, then don't forgive." <laughs> <laughs> and he knew what to say because that just pierced my heart. I yeah. Said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm just wondering, like, do you pray for them to like confess or their salvation, or you know, because in my personal experience, I don't want to pray for like wealth and happiness. 
Yes, yeah. No, that's right. What, what do we pray? What do we, what do we, what do we pray for uh, those who mistreat us? What do we pray for for them? First of all, that they would know Jesus. Yeah. It's not, you know, bless my enemies with abundant prosperity and goods and, you know, uh, that's, um, we're robbing them when we do that because what they really need is that relationship with the Lord. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good theology in Fiddler on the Roof. So. <laughs> yeah, Brian? Yeah. Yeah, there's, in both of those cases, there, there was no reciprocation. Jesus just prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. They don't know what they're doing. And they didn't know what they're doing. But he prayed for them. And, and Stephen in Acts 7 did the same thing. So, we, we, know, we, don't, we don't pray. Well, we pray because the Lord says that's, that's what we need to do. And it changes our hearts. Just the, the, forgiveness, the forgiveness that comes from that changes our heart. And, and it does. It allows us to move on. Otherwise, you're stuck. And you just, you're just, you know, you're stuck in a cycle of bitterness that'll just consume you. Yeah. I, I just give it to you again, forgive them again. Because, you know, sometimes you're going years back, yeah. and that stuff is just there, mm-hmm. and it comes back up. And so it's a process that we just need to keep handing over to the Lord and check our hearts, clean house, yeah. and say, okay, I forgive them again, Lord. And 70 times 7. Yeah. So. Is, you just have to, you know, it's a continued thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's good for you. Because right? It's good for us. Yeah. Okay. I'm so eventually I became willing, but I wasn't at first. Okay. Step one, be willing to be willing. <laughs> step two, be willing. <laughs> and step three, do, do it. it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Larry? So, it comes to my mind when we talk about what we should pray for our enemies, what blessing of God is it we want to withhold from them? No. What, is, yeah, what is it, when you go to that list, I would pray for my friend that he have his needs met economically or whatever. Well, I think what, yeah, I think, I think what we want to say is, in terms of priority, I want to pray for what a person needs the most. And not necessarily not pray for other things, but what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And so when we're praying for people, if they don't know the Lord, 
We want to pray for their health if they're sick. I mean, our prayer list is full of people with cancer. Some know the Lord and some don't. And we're praying for their healing. But at the same time, the, the greatest good I can do for, in my prayers for someone is to pray that their eyes would be opened and their hearts would be softened to the truth of the gospel so that whether they live or whether they die, they know the Lord. And, and, and so um, I guess the place to start is if there's someone on your heart right now or someone from your past and, and it's really, and you're not at peace, there's, there's issues, um, start by praying for them. And the Lord will first change your heart and he may change theirs. But if yours gets changed, th that's a pretty big win right there. Yes, Jess? I would say that forgiveness is the first step towards that. Yes. And having that calm heart and being able to have the ability to pray for those people. That's right. Because, because that opens the, that, that, that cleanses your heart first. Okay? And don't get any expectations that, well, I've forgiven them now, now everything's going to be okay. Uh, but that's the place to start. First step for peace. First step for peace. Yep. Okay. Good point. Good point. All right. Any other thoughts or okay? You know where to begin. That's all we with us. We 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 start with forgiveness, and for them we begin with prayer, and uh, see where the Lord takes it from there. Okay. Um, just you know, it might just be a small part of your life, but it's a there's a if there's a part where there's some bondage there. Um, Yeah, that's right. Okay, let's pray. Father, there is so much more that you've said in your word uh, that deals with this. Um, we need the wisdom that's from above. Uh, Lord, this area of forgiveness, especially, especially with those that don't want to acknowledge maybe their part. And Father, especially when there's been deep hurts and we're guarded. Lord, we need the wisdom from above. We need to set the boundaries that you would have us set. But Father, you've asked us to pray and to do good and to bless those who have mistreated us. 
We recognize, Father, that those actions will change us as much as they will anyone else. And Lord, I, I like what you sh shared through Sharon, that we have to be willing to let you make us willing. Lord, we want to be a people who walk in obedience so that we can be seen as different in this world. We want to be a people who forgive just as Jesus forgave us. Father, we need your help. These hurts are deep. Some here have suffered great, great amounts of pain that continues over the years. And Father, we want to be set free. Would you speak to our hearts this morning? Help us to be willing to forgive and to say so. And then, Lord, if we have to forgive time and time and time again, that's no different than how you've forgiven us. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, which cleanses from all sin, and we have that permanent forgiveness from the ultimate penalty. Father, by grace we have been saved. Let us give grace to others in our relationship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.